everyone, and welcome to another edition of Break the Ice. Uh, this is the first quarantine edition of Break the Ice, uh, the first time we're doing a show where there are many, many miles between myself and my guests. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes, but we're, we're happy to be able to, to deliver uh, something here uh, in the way of a podcast and to, to keep this thing rolling forward. Um, way across the Canadian border and out in Western Canada, I'm joined by CAPS Assistant General Manager Ross Mahoney, longtime uh, CAPS draft guru. Um, I guess, uh, what, Ross, a uh, quarter of a century now, pretty near uh, uh, with the Capitals, uh, running the draft and, and living the dream. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, started and uh, they hired in July of 97. So it's been a long time and it's been a great run so far. Well, and uh, Ross is in Regina, uh, Saskatchewan. And I mean, how jarring is it, first of all, Ross, for – uh, this is the time of year where you guys are typically, um, you know, checking out probably the Memorial Cup tournament, um, tournaments in Europe, um, watching, you know, the, getting your last look at a lot of guys who will be draft eligible um, come come June. And, and, and suddenly, quite suddenly, um, all of you guys are off the road. Um, all you guys are now doing business from various remote ports of call uh, around the world. Um, so, so first off, I guess just how jarring is, is that to be, um, having, having your, your daily MO so different than, than when it would be normally at this, this time of the hockey calendar? Yeah, I think it's been uh, a lot harder on my wife than it has been on me. Um, you know, normally I'm gone probably 20, 22 days of every month out traveling and, uh, usually about 240 nights a year in a hotel room and, uh, this time of the year would be very, very busy, like you said, because uh, there'd be playoffs going on in the Canadian Hockey League, the junior leagues. Uh, we would be, uh, you know, just finished. Uh, we're in the middle of the uh, under-18 World Championship. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, – probably never home for more than six days in a row from September until June, and I've been home for about three weeks now. So it's, uh, it's been different. Like I said, probably a lot harder than my wife. But I mean, how, how is that just the personal adjustment from being, like you said, such a globetrotter for most of the year, and especially at this time of year, to, to now being basically, you know, like all the rest of us, in the, in the same place. And there's no bag that needs to be packed. There's no um, itinerary that needs to be adhered to. It's, it's, all, uh, it's, a, it's all vastly different from, from everything we've known before. How's that adjustment been, and what have you done to, to sort of, uh, I guess, stay sane? Yeah, it's been a bit of a struggle, um, honestly, because you are used to, you know, getting on a plane, flying a couple hours somewhere, get the rental car, drive a couple hours to a game, drive back, you know, do your reports and hotels and even just, you know, the scheduling that you're trying to make things work, especially at this time of the year. And uh, so it's been it's been different, but, uh, you know, a chance to catch up on uh, on uh, some of the Netflix shows that I normally don't see and uh, try to get out every day for a walk for about an hour with my wife and uh, I've been trying to do yoga, which has uh, probably been entertaining for anybody that's seen me try to do the yoga. Um, but uh, no, it's good. And then there's lots of work to do, you know, still with the caps. Um, and, and you mentioned that that work um, and, and you guys are, are still going to draft the class of, of 2020 here at some point. We're not sure exactly when or how that's going to work. But um, what, what's that been like for you guys to sort of um, huddle up remotely and, and do your, your day-to-day or week-to-week um, checking in or, you know, refining of your, your draft list and all the, the things that you would normally be doing uh, at this time of year. But instead of all you guys being in the same room somewhere, um, doing it, you know, on, on a computer screen, uh, like looking like a Brady Bunch uh, episode with, with all you guys kind of as yeah. squares. For the scouts, you know, they're um... – I know obviously they're not going to games, but they've got lots of access to video of games. So a lot of them are spending a lot of time going back and looking at uh, getting another three or four views on uh, videotape of the players that are eligible from their areas. And they're working on their lists, you know, trying to do their final list, which will be coming up pretty soon. Um, you know, at the end of the year, we always have kind of like a final report card that we do on players. And so they're working on those, you know, we call them end of the year profiles. So that's something that they'd be working on normally. So 
really the biggest difference from them is instead of watching a game live, you know, they're watching a game on video. So it's, uh, but they're still very busy. Are they holding up okay as far as, you know, that, that same adjustment that we just talked about, find, you know, finding ways to, uh, um, I guess, occupy the, the time and, and, and adjust to just a complete different routine? Yeah, I know, and a lot of them have different interests and different hobbies and probably spending a little more time at that, you know, so it's, uh, but I mean, they'd all, they love to scout and, and you know what, the good scouts love to be in the rink and they would all love to be in the rink watching games, but it is what it is. Yeah, I think we all miss that. Just even, you know, just wandering in uh, in the morning for a morning skate and just the feel of that cold air hitting you and the, the sounds and the sights and and all that stuff. And I'm sure, we're, you know, we, we all can't wait to to uh, to get back to it. I know I've been following um, with, with some interest uh, Steve Bowman's uh, Instagram feed during the, uh, the last few weeks, and he seems to be um, – uh, you know, a little bit of a throwback. He was, he was a guy who loved, he was a chef at one point before he got into this business. And he uh, looks like it was a pretty good one from some of the stuff he's been, he's been whipping up and um, every day he seems to, to post uh, some scrumptious looking uh, meal that, that he's cooked up for, for his family there in Ontario. Well, he did have hot dogs on there one day, didn't he? That's yeah. true. That is true. And uh, Steve says he's a chef. Now I have, eaten at the Bowman house. Um, but I do recall his wife also being a chef and I recall her being the one who made the, uh, made the lunch. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Duly noted. Um, you know, I think we, we, we saw now where the, the NFL is, uh, is, has moved to uh, a remote draft where their, their, their draft is coming up here at the end of April. And I think they're, uh, they're all uh, going to huddle up their various war rooms from, you know, remotely across uh, North America and um, do their, I'm not sure how that's going to work from a TV standpoint and all that, but if, if you guys were, have you guys game planned for, for something like that? If it were to come to that um, and, and you guys needed to um, draft without being in Montreal or without being at some central location, um, would you guys be able to, to, pull that off resource wise and uh, technology wise? Yeah, no, for sure we would. I mean, we really haven't uh, spent a lot of time discussing that right now because everything really is on hold, you know, just to see uh, how this uh, progresses, you know, the situation that we're in. But uh, yeah, no, it would be uh, possible to, to do that for sure. What, what's been the biggest challenge of, of this, this sudden stop? I mean, it hits everybody in a, in a different way. Guys like uh, Connor McMichael, who just you know finished a, a terrific season in the in the OHL, now does not get that uh, um, that opportunity to showcase his his skills on the the big stage of the Memorial Cup. And um, you know, college players uh, don't get that last chance to play in the Frozen Four. Um, everybody's got something that they're missing out on. What, what's what do you feel has been the the biggest challenge and maybe alternatively what's been the biggest revelation um, for you um, about this, this sort of changed viewpoint slash environment? You know, I, I think it's been really hard on uh, obviously the teams and you know, the different leagues uh, and different levels that thought they had a chance to, uh, to do well, whether that's, you know, Bantam teams or midget teams or junior teams, college teams, um, I feel sorry for the, uh, in the junior college for the seniors or the, uh, 20 year olds that'll be graduating and they never got to, uh, complete their season, you know? So I think that's been unfortunate for, for all of those players, but, uh, you know, it, it like I said, it is what it is. It's a different time right now. And, uh, and I think people are handling it really well. How about the, uh, the lack of a combine, uh, this year, how does that impact you guys? Um, not having that, that piece of information or those pieces of information on, on those players. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's the same for all, every team though. So, I mean, I, you know, people can complain about different things if they want to, I guess, but I mean, it's the same for every team. Um, so, um, you know, as of now, there's, you know, there won't be a combine, but I mean, like I said, there's some of those things are out of our control. Um, do you plan on doing uh, any remote interviews with with players? Is that is that something that teams are are doing? Where you know maybe you and Steve would um, 
get a guy who, you know, doing sort of what we're doing right now where you, you know, dial someone in via Skype or Zoom or uh, some sort of situation like that? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, all of our area scouts have been busy interviewing players all year from their areas. You know, it's kind of a, a mandate for them that anybody they would like to interview or anybody they would like to draft, they, they have to interview. And then, uh, as you said, normally we would have uh, Steve Richmond and Steve Bowman and myself and, and uh, Brian McClellan, if, you know, time permitting, you know, would uh, come to the combine and we would interview all the players, but we're, uh, we'll, we'll be doing the videos just so your interviews, just like we are right now, more of a video conference, you know, situation. And so kind of looking forward to that actually and see how it works out. What were your um, uh, quick impressions of the, the four players that the Caps uh, drafted last year um, as far as how far they've, they've progressed in the nine months? So we'd be talking about uh, Connor McMichael, Brett Leeson, uh, Alexei Protus, and, and Martin Hosh. Yeah, I, you know, very, very happy uh, with all of them. Um, you know, Connor McMichael, uh, you know, had he uh, not gone to the World Junior, which, I mean, going to the World Junior was a great experience for him. And he played up and down the lineup, you know, played center, played left wing, fourth line, second line, power play, penalty kill, uh, you know, contributed, had five goals, you know. Um, his regular season, I thought, was phenomenal. Um, sure. You know, especially up until Christmas, you know, he was really, really producing and still produced after, after the world junior too. But I think it's a, it's a long year too, especially when you throw the world junior tournament in where maybe some of the other kids are getting a 10, 12 day kind of a holiday to rest up. And so Connor did, I thought he played fantastic. Um, you know, Alexi had a really good uh, start in PA. I think he was leading the league in scoring uh, up until uh, he left to go to the world junior, the B pool um, came back and then had a little bit of a tough January, but uh I know Prince Albert uh, measured him again, and he had grown almost another inch from the time we had sent him back. Um, and wow. he had the same, yeah, he had the same, uh, kind of the same issue in his draft year. You know, he had a pretty good start, and then right around January, February wasn't uh, quite as good, and then he really picked it up at the end of the year. So I think that was part of him growing again, you know. So he's, uh, you know, 6'6 six, six and a little bit, so that's, you know. But, but played very well, and he was starting to play. Uh, he would picked up his play again the last month you know, before the season was shut down here. Um, you know, Brett, uh, Leeson, I think it's, uh, you know, your first year in the American Hockey League is always, it's always a challenge, you know. I think sometimes the kids go in there and and uh, forgetting probably how good everybody is in the American Hockey League and how good of a league it is. So he's, he's doing well, but it's, uh, you know, probably the same kind of, you know, year that most first-year players have when they're in the American Hockey League. No, and uh, Martin Hosh had a really interesting year where uh, he played in the Finnish Junior League, the uh, First Division, and also in the Men's League. And then he played on the Czech World Junior Team, which I thought was uh, very good as an 18-year-old defenseman. It's usually a 19-year-old tournament. And then he went to Guelph um, after the World Junior Tournament and uh, good experience there in Guelph. I think it was really good for him to play in the smaller ice surface and, uh, you know, more physical play. You got to move the puck a little quicker. You get less time and space. So... Happy with Martin's progress. Like you said, an 18-year-old defenseman, but he's only been playing that position for a few years too. So maybe even uh, more of a, a, a feather in his cap for, for being able to, to pull off uh, what he did. Um, were you guys pleased that that he was drafted by Guelph and that he chose to, to go over there? I'm guessing that, that it makes it a little easier for you guys to, to see him uh, on a more frequent basis, certainly a more cost-friendly. Yeah, he was uh... – actually drafted by North Bay and then North Bay traded him to Guelph. All right. Yeah. So, but uh, it, it is good for him to be over and it's, uh, you know, with Connor McMichael being in London and, uh, and Martin being in Guelph, it was easy for uh, a little easier for Steve Richmond too, to plan some of his trips. And, you know, it's only about an hour apart, hour and a half apart, the two cities. So, you know, he could, uh, I think be a little more, you know, efficient with his uh, time and, and doing his scheduling and catching them both. Russ, I know that you like to keep things close to the vest uh, in the weeks and months leading up to a draft, and I totally understand that. But just uh, from a broad perspective, anything stand out to you as far as being uh, more plentiful or less plentiful in this this class of 2020 that's uh, that's coming up here at some point? Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of forwards that are available this year. Um, there's a couple, I would say, probably higher end, you know, more – 
skilled defensemen that have a chance to play in a power play. Um, then there's some other defensemen that are probably more, you know, two-way kind of penalty killing, you know, maybe second pair D. But I think there's a lot of, a lot of very good forwards this year. We just a uh, day or two ago, too, passed the, the anniversary of the – one of the great days in, in Caps history, really, was the, the, the day in 2004 – I guess it was 2004, yeah – that uh, we learned that the Caps won the draft lottery and the ability to take Alex Ovechkin uh, first overall. Um, and for I did a big story on uh, Ovi's first three years in the league earlier this year. and Asked him and, and, and Dick and Ted and some others about their recollections. What, what do you remember about that day and, and when you found out? Because it, it wasn't a televised thing. It wasn't a big production uh, back in those days. It, it was a phone call. And uh, I know when I got the phone call, I didn't believe the guy uh, who was telling me what we played a lot of pranks on one another back in those days. And the only way I was going to believe it was was when the word came from on high, namely from an you know an all staff email from from Dick Patrick. But I'm just wondering what what were your thoughts and 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 feelings on on that momentous day 16 years ago? Well, I basically have never won anything. I've uh... <laughs> buy 50, 50 tickets to all those games. And there's, you know, I watched 250 games a year and never won once in my life. Wow. So I was out actually doing some errands, you know, trying not to think about it. And I got the call from the office and it was like, we won the lottery. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Whatever. And I, I think I hung the phone up, you know, and then I was driving around doing a few more errands. And I thought, okay, went home and turned on TSN and we won the lottery. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, well, what a year to win the lottery. You know, I mean, and that's no disrespect to uh, whoever goes number one every year in the draft. But I think there's certain years when, when you do have an opportunity to get a, you know, a superstar generational player, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and again, it, uh, you know, to call Alex's name out was, it was pretty special, you know, and that's, and there were some good players in that draft, obviously Malkin and, and uh, you know, who's a tremendous player, but yeah. look at Alex Ovechkin and, and uh, you know, for me, the hardest thing to do in the NHL is to score goals. And, and we thought we had a young, a young man that would be able to score goals. Now, if I told you he would have as many goals right now yeah. <laughs> as he does, I'd be lying to you. Um, but we thought he was a legitimate goal scorer, you know, for in the future for the NHL. And uh, yeah, just unbelievable. I, I, it took a few days for it to sink in, you know, that we actually had won the lottery and we were going to be able to call his name out. It certainly altered the course of, of everything that happened after that day uh, in, in Washington uh, in a good way, for sure. Um, well, let's go back into your, your background a little bit. I know that, you know, as in, in high school, you're a pretty good ball player, pretty good baseball player. Um, and I think, uh, if I remember right, a, a contemporary of, of Terry Poole, who uh, was a pretty good leadoff hitter for a number of years with the Houston Astros and I think with the Mets a little bit later on. Um, and if I remember right too, a little bit of a knee injury, uh, derailed, uh, any hopes that you may have had of following or, or you know, going along in, in his footsteps uh, at that time. I know you, you taught school for a while, but run us through that, that whole progression of, of Ross Mahoney from, from the time he was 18 or so until, uh, he, he got into the NHL. Yeah. Uh, as far as the baseball, I could strike out with the best of them for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I was very fortunate to play with, uh, Terry. I, I grew up in Regina, Saskatchewan and Terry was from Melville, Saskatchewan. And, yeah. uh, they picked me up for the Canadian midget championships. Uh, I think it was back in Barhead, Alberta. And, uh, yeah, so we were very, very fortunate. We won the, uh, we won the Canadian championships, which was a pretty good accomplishment for a little town of, uh, from Melville, Saskatchewan. And, uh, Terry was a exceptional uh, athlete. You know, I think he was a 200 meter uh, champ, provincial champ. I think he was a hurdles champ. And uh, after I had hurt my knee, I think I probably resembled more of a wounded elephant when I was running. So at that time, I think they were looking for players. There were a lot of, you know, artificial surfaces. And, uh, you know, you had to have really good speed in order to, to, to play. Um, but I had a chance to go down to the to the states on a baseball scholarship, you know, and and came back, had the knee operated on, and then I thought uh, I'll probably just move on with my life. And they started a, a hockey team at the University of Regina, and went there and got my education degree, 
and uh, played hockey for, for four years for the team uh, with some great guys and actually really good teams. Went to a couple of Canadian championships, but fell a little bit short. Um, then I uh, started teaching and I got guilted into uh, coaching. You know, someone made me feel guilty. They, they said, you're going to come and help me coach. I said, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, you know, got a teaching job and, you know, started, had a young family and, and they said, oh, and the people that coached you didn't have any jobs and didn't have families. And I said, well, yeah, no, I guess I did. And so that was the beginning of my coaching career. You know, that kind of led to uh, coaching at different levels, straight from Bantam to junior to college to uh, the world championships uh, for the 16-year-olds a couple times and Canadian, uh, you know, championships, the Canada Winter Games. And, and along that path that I was doing, uh, you know, somebody asked if I wanted to scout. I was like, scout? And at that time in the Western Hockey League, there, uh, there was no draft. You just listed players and you had a 50-man list. And, and I said, well, scout, I've never scouted. They said, well, you're coaching the age level that we put on our list. So if you see a good player, phone us up and we'll put them on the list. We'll go check them out and, uh, you know, and go from there. Okay. So I did that. And then um, Vancouver was looking for somebody to do it part-time in this area. Um, at that time, there were a lot of really good players coming out of the Saskatchewan Junior League. Um, Curtis Joseph, Rod Brindamore, Kent Manderville, uh, Jason Herter, all of those types of players. And, and you know, that I think uh, Vancouver was looking for a little more coverage there, plus doing the Western Hockey League out of that area. So I did that for about five years with Vancouver. Um, tremendous experience. You know, I worked for uh, Pat Quinn was the president, general manager and head coach, yeah, <laughs> which, is, which you look back at that and you think, wow. And uh, Pat was phenomenal. Um, uh, Brian Burke was the assistant general manager. Mike Penny was the, the head scout, uh, the mm -hmm. gentleman who interviewed me and, and, uh, and uh, you know, hired me. So worked with Ron DeLorem, Jack McCartan, you know, um, just a great group of guys. And, and it was really a great first job for me in the NHL because I learned how to do things properly. Uh, you know, and then uh, actually George McPhee came in to be the assistant GM after Brian left to be the general manager in Hartford. So that was sort of my connection with George. Um, as I said, did that for about five years. And then Buffalo Sabres uh, asked if I, uh, you know, would like to do it full time. Uh, some other teams had asked too, and I kind of put it off. I, the kids were young and I didn't know about the travel and, and uh, you know, and then my wife was very supportive and she said, you know, you're, you can look back on this if you don't give it a try and probably uh, wonder what if or, you know, how it would have been. And, you know, and I had a great job teaching school and, and uh, you know, your holidays are when your children's holidays are and you get the summers off and, uh, you know. So, uh, they, like I said, Buffalo then asked. And so I met with them after the draft in Edmonton um, and uh, got hired. Once again, another unbelievable experience, John Muckler, you know, general manager, five-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, Don Luce, Larry Carrier, you know, those those type of people. So there I am with two of my, you know, experiences with, like I said, unbelievable. Just learn from real professionals and really good people. And then uh, it was very fortunate George hired me to be the uh, director of amateur scouting with the Capitals. And uh, the rest is history, I guess. And that's a great story. And, and, and you know, now you, you've, you've spent half your life doing this, this, this gig or in this business. What do you think... If you if you would have been able to tell eighteen year old Ross Mahoney about how everything was going to work out for him and how you know he'd have a cup ring and all this uh, years down the road, how, how do you think he would have felt about that? Oh, I wouldn't have believed it if you would have said you're going to be a you know get into hockey and hockey scouting, and I you know I, I wouldn't have even thought that. But I think that's kind of where life takes you a lot of times. Things happen that are not even expected, and and uh, they turn out really well for you and you know, very fortunate the two jobs I had being a school teacher and, and being a, uh, you know, being in the hockey business are two jobs I loved, you know, really like working with, with younger people. And, and, uh, you know, when you're teaching, you're also coaching and doing that. So I like that part of it. And, uh, I've always loved sports my whole life. And I think if, if you get yourself in a job with something that you love, then it's, it's gonna, it's not going to be a job. And honestly, yeah. with the cap, with the capitals now for 23 years, it, it hasn't been a job. Somebody asked me the other day, are you thinking about uh, retiring, you know, anytime 
soon, you know, because I'm 63 now. And a lot of my friends, I, I listen to them talk about the uh, years, days, months <laughs> that they have left in their, in their jobs. And, and for me, it's never been a job. It really hasn't. I mean, if it becomes a job, I'll, I'll walk away from it. Yeah, I, I, you're right. You know, we see guys in our business uh, working well into their 70s, probably because they enjoy the hell out of it so much. So but I got a couple of questions just come up out of your, your answer to that question. Number one, and I should know this and I probably do, what, what subjects did you teach when, when you were a teacher? I taught phys ed uh, half time. You know, I did kind of the upper grades from grade four to eight, and then I would do my own reading and math. And uh, I made sure somebody else did my music and uh, art and some of the other <laughs> subjects that uh, I would have done no justice to. So I did the elementary school grade eight for 14 years. And in the last two years, I went to high school. I taught English, um, part of a special program where I taught English uh, all morning to, to students who had been out of school for a couple of years uh, for various mm -hmm. reasons. You know, I, our hope was that the, those students would see success earlier in a semester because they were with me all morning instead of for one hour. Um, so it was, it was a great experience. And in the afternoon, uh, taught a law class. So it was kind of a different wow. spectrum. You know? The law class was kind of a, probably a bit of an easier elective for the kids. Um, and, and you had a lot of high end, you know, students that were, you know, going to university and, and the other group was, uh, like I said, they, they had some uh, really, really tough environments that they uh, grew up in, but they were uh, some unbelievable kids. They just sometimes didn't quite function in a, in a regular classroom, maybe as, as well as, uh, as they could have, but uh, there was, both sides were really, really rewarding, really, really awesome. Can you empathize with teachers uh, trying to, you know, teach students right now in this environment where they don't have the classroom and they're, I, I know my son right now is finishing up his last year of, of college and, and, you know, his, he came back from spring break and all of a sudden he will never be in a classroom again. Um, he, he's supposed to graduate next month and there won't be a graduation. Um, and all of his schoolwork is, is in his, uh, is in his house. Yeah, different situation. Um, but I know uh, I, I used to sub. Uh, when they were really desperate, they would phone me up to go and sub. And if I was back in town, uh, they must have been really desperate. So they would <laughs> they would phone me and I'd go back and sub. And uh, over the years, I just saw how the technology changed, though. And uh, the younger teachers were, I think they were so much further ahead than I was when I was uh, first starting out. You know, it seemed more confident. And, and like I said, technology today, I guess it's... Uh, made what's happened now possible for kids to still to you know continue with their education um the other thing is as you mentioned when you were um, coaching um teams would reach out to you and and ask you your thoughts on on players is, is are those uh those uh you know junior level lower you know junior a junior b uh coaches are those guys still resources um for you for you guys uh, at all like they were 30 some years ago yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, you, we always talk to the coaches, you know, to get a feel for what they think about the players and uh, also the trainers too. Trainers, uh, yeah. trainers know everything. They really do. It's, they always have a, a pulse on what's going on with the team. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk to the school system also and, uh, you know, talk to the vice principal. Usually that's the one who does the disciplining in the school. And, um, you know, sometimes now the, the, this, the players are doing more online, you know, education, but uh, yeah, we'll, we're, we'll talk to everybody. We try to get as much information as we can. And cause you're kind of building a book, you know, on these, on these players that are draft eligible. Yeah. What are some of the bigger evolutions you've seen, the bigger shifts you've seen in the way you guys uh, as a group, um, you know, not just specifically the capitals, but the, the whole scouting industry, um, goes about their business from, from say 1990 until now. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a sweeping question because I, I'm sure there's been a lot of a little things, but what, what are some of the bigger uh, shifts in, in the way the, the industry and, and the, the art of, of scouting uh, these kids has evolved? You know, it, it's really changed in um, it's become a 12 month process. Um, you know, when I started with uh, with Buffalo, or even when I was with Vancouver, there was not a lot of summer hockey. Um, now you have evaluation camps, whether it's, you know, Canada bringing in their top 40 
under 18 players or the U.S. brings in about 160 of their top, you know, 17 year olds. And uh, you have the Holinka tournaments, you know, you have uh, so many more tournaments. And, and uh, like I said, evaluation camps taking place in July and August. So that, that's been a, a big difference. Um, also, the number of countries that are playing hockey and producing players. Um, when I first started, it was probably a lot more traditional Russia, Sweden, Finland, and at that time, Czechoslovakia, you know. Yeah. So now we have, uh, you know, Danes and, and Slovenians and Germans and Swiss. And so as far as the coverage goes, it's really expanded, you know, and I think scouting staffs have expanded for that reason also. Um, we didn't just have the four countries now in Europe. We, it's Belarus, you know, the players are coming from everywhere. Um, I think the growth of hockey in the United States has been huge. You know, we used to have kind of the new England, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and a little bit yeah. of uh, a little bit of, you know, around Illinois and Michigan. And it's not like that anymore. Kids are getting drafted that grew up in, in Texas and California and Florida. And so, you know, once again, I think, you know, expanding that coverage has, has made a, has made a big difference. Um, technology has been huge. Um, I look at the video I watch now, today mm-hmm. compared to watching some video 20 years ago it's like, it's like night and day i mean i guess part of the technology of doing the the video and and also even all the new buildings now they have in, in junior and college it's uh, probably uh makes the video that much better with the lighting and everything and everything else um you know cell phones there weren't cell phones when i first started and i'm, I'm kind of showing my age, I guess, but, you know, you'd get back to your hotel room and you'd look at your phone and the little red light would be blinking away and you'd, <laughs> you know, make your calls the next morning. And, and so communication is so much easier. And, and uh, I think you do a lot more communicating now. Um, I remember doing my reports on uh, triplicate on paper and I would uh, send in two copies to the office, you know, mail them on, uh, mail them on Monday, you know, and, uh, and uh, keep one copy for myself, put it in my binder. And you know, now with, uh, with the computer and, uh, and the different programs that you use, it's just made it so much easier as far as, uh, you know, and trying to produce lists and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, the combine has become, a, as we talked about before, the, the combine has become a big event for us. And uh, so there's been, there's been a lot of changes. And I think in the future, um, one change I could see for sure will be, uh, and I don't know if it'll come in my day, um, but uh, Asia, I can see scouts now having to expand and go to Asia. China has become uh, really involved in hockey. Um, you know, it'll take a while, but I think uh, guys aren't just going to be doing North America and Europe. They're going to be heading to Asia also to do scouting. So, yeah, that's that's probably one thing I can see for sure in the future that's going to change, uh, change even more travel. I mean, that's pretty exciting, too, when you think about it. You could... You could uh you could probably expand uh, quite a bit if you if you're able to pull from from that population because when you think about you know the days of the original six you you had six teams you had pretty deep minor leagues uh, in those days but 98 percent of those players came from from Canada and and you know once once you started pulling from or I guess once once expansion came in and the original six became the original twelve, and then all of a sudden here comes the WHA. Well, you 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 kind of needed to to branch out to just to populate those teams and to have, you know, to keep the the quality of hockey to to you know major league level. You, you kind of had to go overseas and start bringing in the the um, you know the Swedes and some some of those other uh, countries just to a. Uh, you go from pretty much six to 30 major league teams in less than a decade. Um, you mentioned the combine, how, how advantageous or how much of a, of a plus do you think it's been for you guys to, to be able to have a little bit of a, a, a mental uh, view into, into guys and, you know, to be able to evaluate maybe just the way they think and, and, and the way they, they see the world. And, and you know, the, I mean, the combine I think started out as mostly, you know, measuring guys' physical abilities and, you know, various areas. But it, it seems like over the last uh, decade or so, maybe a little more, um, you guys, not that you, you shorted that, um, that area before, I think you just had different ways of, of getting to that information. And now it seems like, um, you know, some of these tests um, that, that you're able to, to administer to these guys are, are giving you a, a bit of a better window 
into to what they are like as as a person and as a human being. Yeah, and I, I think it was really hard on the kids before because, um, you know, there was no combine. And then a team would, let's say, bring a player into their city and then keep them for a while, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. interview them, talk to them, run some tests. And they also were kind of keeping them away from other teams, having that yeah. opportunity to interview them also. And then uh, even during the year, you know, you would have, you know, teams going and measure a guy four or five times. Well, times that by, let's say, 24 teams at that time. And, you know, a lot of disruptions for the player too. So, you know, central scouting, you know, did, and they do a fantastic job, you know, Danny, Danny Marr and his crew there, they're, uh, I mean, they set it up, the interviews run like clockwork, you know, that's, and it's a huge job to try to schedule, you know, 121 kids to do interviews at 31 teams. Um, For me personally, like I, I, I think I said before that our area scouts will talk to everybody in the area that they'd like to draft, but myself and Steve Bowman, it allows us to have that opportunity to, you know, spend four or five days and to be able to talk to those 120 kids. And, and even if uh, it, it's hard to talk to all of them in the formal interview, but you still have the opportunity to talk to them in the hallway or talk to them in the hotel or, or anything, you know, any of those situations. So I make a point to introduce myself and, and so does Steve to every single uh, one of those players at some time during that time. And then the fitness testing part that they do, you know, we bring in our strength coach, uh, Mark yeah. Nemish, who, you know, once again, I mean, unbelievable, you know, his information that he gives us is, it's fantastic. And Mark is, you know, he's not going to tell us what he thinks there as a hockey player. He's just, hey, I've never ever seen this guy play, but I'll watch him do the test. I'll give you my evaluation. I'll tell you what I think he will be three or four years from now, if he's going to be committed to do what I asked him to do off the ice, as far as the training, you know, so yeah, very valuable. But I, and I just, I mean, I like meeting the kids, like I said. I, the testing, I like to see how hard they try on the test, too. You know, I remember uh, Tyler Lewington, you know, who was a, a really late-round pick. But, uh, you know, Tyler's done really well for himself, played well. And but I remember him at that combine, how hard he tried. It was unbelievable. It was, you know, so you could just tell that a guy like that would be really worthy of a later pick because he's going to do everything possible to try to get there, you know, to the NHL. And he has played some games, you know, great for him, but uh, just loved his attitude and effort, the way he kind of attacked every test. Yeah. I'm knowing Tyler, that doesn't surprise me uh, at all about him. You guys too, uh, I had the, the extreme privilege of sitting in on some, some interviews over the years and even watching the way you guys have evolved in that regard, there was a time, I guess, back in the uh, early part of this century where a player would come in and to the hotel suite and there'd be the entire staff, the entire scouting staff sort of in, in a, in a circle around him, he would come in. You guys were, were great about trying to get him to relax and feel it at ease, you know, sing us a song, tell us a joke, uh, that sort of thing. But still that's a, uh, you know, especially for some of these kids who, who you know, my English might have been a second language, kind of a daunting task to come in. It's a, it's a very, very similar to a job interview situation. But, you know, typically when you go to interview for a job, you're not talking to 17 or 18 people simultaneously. You guys have pared that down to to just maybe two or three guys, um, which I think is, is probably cleaner, probably puts guys at ease a lot more. But what, what went into that, the, the, the thinking behind making, making that alteration? You know, it's like, it's like everything else. I mean, you need to, you need to grow and you need to evolve and we have to too with what we do in the scouting or, or, you know, so we look at all aspects of what we do and we looked at the interview process and we talked to some experts who, you know, do interviews and it was like, uh, no, you know, that's (laughs) very intimidating to have all those, all those people in there and, and, uh, you know, you want to have a setting where the player is comfortable and, and relaxed and, and, have a good, uh, you know, two-way conversation with them and get to, get to, uh, you know, meet them, learn a little more about them and probably uh, confirm what you already know, you know, what you've seen on the ice. Um, sometimes you see a player that's very unselfish on the ice and it'll probably come across in his interview that he's a very unselfish, very team-orientated person. So, yeah, we thought, uh, you know, it's best that we, tell the area scouts to, to interview them. And that's a one-on-one interview, you know, and then, like you said, at the combine, it'll be Steve Bowen, myself, Steve Richmond and, and Brian McClellan, you know, depending on, on how, you know, the big club's doing in the, in the playoffs. Um, so it's, it's worked out really well, but uh, like I said, just like everything else, we're trying to evolve and trying to make our process better so that we, we make better choices when we do the draft. 
another thing that that has always um, sort of amazed me about you guys as, as a group is that just the the camaraderie and the chemistry that you guys have, and it's not like you guys are working together day in and day out. You guys are scattered all over the place. You, you get together for you know drafts, obviously, and, and you know a couple of times a year for for meetings and to get your lists and stuff together. But you also have the luxury of you know having some of these guys who who've been on staff for as long as you have, or almost as long as you have. Um, how important is it? We talk about, you know, in the media, we talk about team chemistry and the importance of, you know, three guys uh, on a forward line, having that chemistry, a couple of deep pairs or, or you know, defensemen uh, communicating on the ice and the importance of all that. But I feel like that extends to the front office and to you guys as a group as well. Yeah, no, it does for sure. Um, you know, sometimes people have asked me, kind of what's, uh, what's the secret? You know, you want to draft well. And I said, hire good people. You know, that's what you need to do is hire really good people. And we've got some got some great guys. And they're all different personalities. They all come from different backgrounds. Uh, yeah. Some come from more of a playing background. Some may come from more of a coaching background. But uh, they're really respectful of each other. Um, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting process because you'll have 10 or 11 of them that come in. They all have the list. And they all think their list is right. <laughs> and, and we all know from experience, myself especially, that I look back at some of my lists and go, oh, boy, you know, <laughs> glad we didn't draft that guy. I really liked him. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting process because they're going to come and they're going to kind of bang the table and, and uh, you know, for guys that they, they have on their list and who they believe in. And, and, uh, but I also have to kind of remind them, too, that, uh, you know, you got to respect what everybody says and you got to be open-minded and really uh, – really listen to their point of view and uh and that's kind of a big part of my job is to create that environment for them you know that'll that'll be uh, uh an environment where they feel free to speak up and it's just their opinion that's what they're being paid for to give their opinion and and they can only give from what they saw and i always try to tell them that hey we're a group and and i truly believe in the group process you know whether i've got the final say and i do but it, it, that it's a group process you know that together as a group we'll, we'll get it right you know not a hundred percent right, but we're going to try to, but we're, we'll, we'll come up with a good list at the end. Um, and I think experience has a lot to do with it too. You know, Steve Bowman's been with me, uh, been with me since day one. Yeah. Uh, Ed McCoglin, who just retired was with me, you know, since day one, uh, Steve Richmond has probably been there 16, 17 years. Um, you know, so we've got a lot of experience, but we also had some, some new scouts come in this year, um, which has been really good. Also young scouts, Maddie Lamberg, who, uh, we hired in Finland who um, had to uh, unfortunately quit playing because of uh, some injuries that he had, but uh, boy, what a great addition. Uh, bright, you know, brilliant, actually, you know, unbelievable. Uh, I look at my first year as a scout, full-time scout. This, this young guy is so far ahead of where I was, you know, uh, we hired Carl Stewart. Uh, yeah. Carl had uh, experience, um, you know, working with central scouting Um Carl, once again, just like Maddie, you know, really a bright young guy and, and uh, enthusiastic and energetic and, uh, you know, really, really uh, a good person. You know, um, hired Rich uh, Algerin, uh, you know, part-time out in, in the New England area. Um, couldn't be happier with how these guys are doing. And like I said, they're way ahead of where I was and when, when I first started working. And I, I think that you kind of have to have a little bit of, of everything, you know, you have to have some younger scouts to bring that enthusiasm and the energy and the passion. And then you have some other sc older scouts that have the experience and, uh, but a uh, great group. And then, you know, you know, we have to, you throw Steve Richmond in who's uh, does an unbelievable job with player development, you know, and his, his kind of area has expanded a little bit with, uh, you know, Brooks Orpik, you know, helping out and, and, uh, but Steve does a great job and, and really good in the interview process also. Um, you know, his son Danny was a second round pick, I think, of Carolina's and he had been through the whole process and, you know, and Steve played, he played games yeah. in the NHL, he played in the American League, uh, Steve, he's coached, you know, the Chicago Steel in the USHL and so I, I don't think we could have a better person doing the, doing the player development, you know, he's got experiences at, at every level, whether it's coaching, playing and he just has a way about him that uh, he can give you a pat in the back or a hug or he can give you a kick in the backside too, depending on, depending on what is needed, you know? So, and very, uh, Steve's a very honest person, you know, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. So you'll know exactly what's expected of you when you're working with Steve Richmond, you know, but you'll also 
have a tremendous person there to support you. you well, I met Maddie and Carl, and I share your. Um, they both made a good first impression on me as well. I, really good, smart guys. Um, as you said, I'm glad you brought up um, Steve Richmond, though. Um, that, that's a, that's another one of those developments. I think, no pun intended, but um, that's one of those those things that you know, 20, 30 years ago, teams didn't have, and now typically. They have not only do they have the that development staff; they're expanding um, that that development staff. So it certainly uh, is something that um, seems to be benefiting uh, team teams around the league. What do you remember about the process of of introducing that back when George was was still the GM, and and I guess this would have been in the early two thousands. I know I talked to Steve about. Uh, the, the story from from his uh, standpoint and vantage point, but how valuable do you think that is? It's sort of a little bit of a bridge between what you do and, and what the guys at the NHL level do. Yeah, no, it's huge, and I think we were one of the uh, one of the first teams to do it. And I, yeah, I know I Tony, so too. George and Brian and myself had talked about it, you know, and it was. Um, you know, I looked at it and thought we'd we'd have the area scouts. They'd stay after a game and wait, you know, and and. Uh, talk to the player and make sure things are going well and if there's any issues and uh, not easy when the, you know, what if the team lost by five or six goals? And I mean, that's the last thing that the poor player wanted to do is come out and, and uh, you know, probably talk to us and the coach was upset and, you know, and then the scout would be driving a couple hours after the game back to wherever he was. And, uh, you know, so it really came down to what are we doing? I mean, we should be doing everything we possibly can to develop these guys. and you know, we're sitting around talking to them and, you know, you have a, you have a summer camp and why isn't this kind of a, a process that takes place through the whole year? You know, uh, you know, Steve gets out there and he watches practices, he watches games, he takes them out for lunch. He's in communication with the coaches. The, you know, it, it's, to me, it's been huge as far as trying to speed up that development that we have for, for our younger players. Um. Could keep you all afternoon, but obviously we don't want to do that. Um, so, so we'll finish up here. I got one last, uh, one last thing for you. And I've spent uh, a few afternoons and evenings in major league ballparks together over the years, watching, uh, watching games. And at least once or twice, uh, those times we had pretty good seats and we're pretty close to the guys with the radar guns who, who scout major league baseball. And back, uh, in the 1980s when I still lived in Chicago and was an avid hater as I still am of the Chicago Cubs, um, Ned Coletti was, was, uh, employed by the Cubs as a, as a PR guy, media relations guy in those days. And, um, sometime in the early nineties, he was hired as director of baseball operations of the San Francisco giants. And he went on to become the assistant GM there. And later on the, the general manager and had a great career, uh, as, as a GM there. And he's you're roughly your age, and all of a sudden last year at the beginning of, I don't know if he was looking for a new mountain to climb or what, but the beginning of last season, the San Jose Sharks added Ned Coletti as a, I think he's a pro scout. Um, but, uh, you know, having talked baseball with you over the years and um, knowing your love for the game and, you know, your, your affinity for um evaluating talent and your expertise in evaluating talent. What are your thoughts on that, that sort of late, late life career change? Although it's, I mean, and do you see it as a career change? Cause it's still kind of doing the same thing. It's just in a different, different realm really. Yeah. Um, I guess before we get into that, I should, I, I, I probably should have mentioned uh, the question before about uh, you know, changes in hockey and that in the draft and everything. It, uh, analytics has become a big part of it also. I should have mentioned that. And Definitely. Uh, when I was talking about our, our, uh, our kind of our group there in the amateur side, uh, there's a couple of guys that, uh, one in particular that always get forgotten, uh, Chris Wagner, you know, and then Jeremy Sinton helps Chris out. But uh, those are the guys in the office that are kind of always organizing and making sure everything's done as far as uh, the interviews and the spreadsheets and, and uh, they do an unbelievable job. I mean, Chris Wagner has uh, the stuff that he prepares for, for us, for the amateurs on the draft is it's phenomenal. I mean, it's like no stone is left unturned, you know, and I don't know how he 
pulls it all together, but he does. It makes it so presentable that it's so uh, easy for Steve Bowman and myself and the rest of the scouts to be able to work. So I should have mentioned them. They, they never get mentioned, which is actually disappointing. We always talk about the coaches and yeah. the players and yeah, talk the about scouts. The, yeah, yeah. scouts that are out in the rink and watching the games. But uh, those guys are the hubs of the wheel and you guys are yeah. the spokes. Yeah. And Chris, like I said, he, and Chris has been there almost since day one too. I, yeah. I probably 21 years working with Chris, you know, Wagner. And uh, like I said, really another bright, intelligent, highly organized guy, you know, so I, I got to give them their kudos for the job that they do. Um, Glad you did that. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that, that's interesting going from baseball to, to hockey. Um, interesting. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly the background. If there's any hockey background, um, I've had the opportunity to uh, go to a couple NFL camps. I've had the opportunity to uh, speak to a couple people in baseball. Um, you know, I've spoken to general managers in football and, and in a way there are a lot of similarities in the sense that, you know, you talk about football and baseball and hockey and it's like hockey sense or football sense or, you know, hockey IQ or football IQ, or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about character, you know, and then they talk about the athleticism, the quick feet, quick hands. And a, a lot of times it's, there are a lot of similarities in what you're looking at in these, you know, they're all, they're elite athletes, you know? So there are a lot of similarities, I guess. Um, you'd have to learn some of the more subtle nuances, I think, of, of the different sports if you were going to cross over. Um, but it, it definitely is interesting uh, to see the, what they're doing and uh, what their thought process would, process would be as far as what he's going to be bringing to, the, to their pro staff. I think yeah. it's kind of cool that he's, he's achieved, you know, he got to the pinnacle in his, his first profession. He's got, you know, eight yeah. or ten years of working life left in him and he's, you know, embracing yeah. a new challenge. I respect you know, I thought, that. Yeah, you got you can't be afraid of change. You know, yeah. you'd rather. I really like to meet him and and uh, pick his brain a little bit at some point. Yeah. Well, Ross, I thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and uh, spending it with us. And hopefully, we see you soon. And hopefully, when we do, we're we're in the same room, uh, same area code, same zip code together. Um, wish you guys all the best in your ongoing preparations and. We'll see you on the other side of this this whole thing. Okay. You bet. Stay safe. Thanks to Ross Mahoney for joining us on this edition, episode number seven, I believe, of Break the Ice. And we'll see what we can do to dig up another guest for you and come back at you real soon with episode number eight. Thanks for hanging out with us. And, and stay safe, everyone. Talk to you soon.